You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DMDR whenever you sign up. I'm the host of today's show, Adam Matas, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Coach George Carl. Coach, uh, happy holidays. How you doing? I had a good day today. I spent a lot of money, bought a lot of presents. Uh, the street was sunshine and spirited, uh, you know. I walked around Sherry Creek for a couple hours. That was pretty cool. I, so are you a last-minute shopper? We're only two days away from Christmas. Is this your typical uh, shopping schedule? I've been known as the last hour shopper. <laughs> I've been I've been at the uh, 5 o'clock at New Year's Eve, I mean Christmas Eve, uh, running around picking up presents. Yep, I've been there before. Yeah. I imagine. I mean, I always think about this with NBA players, NBA coaches, you know, Christmas is a big time and for the NBA. They've made marquee games. But even if you're not playing on Christmas, you're playing right around it. And I always thought that must be difficult, balancing family and Christmas and all of those things with, what, getting 36 hours off, maybe less some, in some cases. Um, did you always want to step away during Christmas from the NBA? Or w- was it too much to, like, take your mind away from what you were doing to celebrate the holiday? Oh... Uh... You know, I, I I would probably say it would be better to have an extra day or two and instead of being it's basically a two-day break. You don't play on Christmas Christmas Eve and Christmas or Christmas. They usually give you two of those three days off. You know, and if you can make it a little longer, I think that'd be maybe a possible that you could go, go someplace. Um, you know... Uh, I, I miss family during Christmas, but when your kids get old enough, you take them with you if you're on the road sometimes and you meet up in New York or someplace. And I remember having a, a hell of a Christmas party in New York one year. And, uh, you know, there's, I mean, you're always, as an NBA coach, you don't, even at all-star break, you might be able to get 24, 48 hours where you forget about it. But you're always worrying about what you have to do, what what you have to improve on. Um, you know, I, as I got older, I got I got better at letting it go a little bit more. But uh, I can't. I mean, we're all kind of idiots. You know, we're we're in love with the game, and 
That's what I mean, though. That's kind of what I'm getting at here is I'm thinking about just where teams are. And this year's a little different because everything's chaos. We're going to get into all of that. But I just thought you're in the middle of the season to step to your mind is so ingrained in it that I imagine it's hard to take your mind off of it, especially when the window is so short. You know, you don't have that much time. But, you know, you played on Christmas or coached on Christmas many times. Did you like getting the Christmas Day game? Uh. I don't really remember. I think in the early, I I would probably say yes, because it's like a it's like a trophy. I mean, usually the only the best play they want the best teams to play on Christmas, and that's been kind of the legacy of right. NBA Christmas Day basketball. You know, they they don't have every bit, but they don't have many bad teams playing on Christmas Day. Well, this uh, year they do. This year they have a lot of them. Well, that's because of whatever is going on in our chaotic world that that we're calling a athlete. You know, partially yes, but hold on, I have to push back on it one thing because this is my wheelhouse. This is the thing I get so frustrated on. The Knicks almost always play on Christmas. The Knicks are almost always bad. The Celtics this year are playing on Christmas. The Celtics they're getting the legacy bump. Those are not two of your top ten best teams in the NBA, but they always get that slot. So. Sometimes we get the best teams, but oftentimes we just get the big markets or the big names, regardless of if their teams are good. Well, there's no question that the one thing when I worked for ESPN that was very obnoxiously displayed by the executives is that the big markets is the only thing we worry about. We don't worry about Denver, Colorado. We don't worry about Sacramento, California. We don't worry about, you know, New Orleans. They want the top 10 markets to be dominated by NBA basketball and winning that market, uh, you know, probably means a hell of a lot in negotiations on the, on the money part of our business. Right. So, so you liked the Christmas, like being a marquee game or did you, would you, if you had your call and you have a good team, a good playoff team, a title contending team, were you hoping you got the Christmas game or are you hoping you, you got that day off? I would say most of the time I was, I was, I wanted it to be a reward to the team. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, towards the end, there was probably different types of scheduling that you want to complain about other than just playing on Christmas day, you know, four games and five nights. Right. right. was the first thing everybody complained about, you know, how many, how long your road trips when you go on that long five or six or seven game road trip. Is it, is it 10 days or is it 12 days or, you know, the long road trips, I think they've done a better job of shortening and doing more road trips rather than on one long road trip. Uh, but in general, I think, you know, the load management people are really been putting a lot of stress and pressure on the league office to be more fair in their scheduling. I have, you know, being out of it for six or seven years, it, I, I don't study it as much, but, you know, I, I thought, I mean, at the beginning of the year, you, there are times where you think you have a good schedule and there are times you don't think there's a very, it's a very good schedule at all. I mean, the one year when we, my last year here in Denver, I think we played 21 road games in our right. first 35. Right. Yep. And, and we didn't have a great record. We were around 500, but we were like a plus seven on the Doug Moe system. And then we went on a 16-game winning streak about, 
mid-January, I think we went on a 16-game winning streak and and we blew up and got playing. Um, you know, it's I think in general as a coach, you want your team to kind of have a steady flow and in a positive direction, but knowing that you're always going to have some dips. You're always going to have some dips. And uh, and you know, I think right now you have a lot of good. Hey, you have a lot of good NBA rosters having some dips right now. Right. Denver right. being one, but you know we were talking how how Atlanta, they don't even look like the same team they were last year. And you know, in a lot of ways, the the two top teams, uh, I think Phoenix and Golden State, have separated themselves a little bit from everybody else in the league in a lot of ways. Their confidence, their their rhythm, their flow, their rotation. They're, I mean, they're, they're right now. I think playing. Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but substantially better than most every other NBA team. They remind me of the 2014 San Antonio Spurs. Not necessarily stylistic, but there are some similarities. They pass well. They have well-defined roles, I think. But more in that. Last year, they went to the finals. And I think some people thought, okay, they were good, but were they great? Teams got hurt, whatever. This year, I think they're meaningfully better than what they were last year. And they were great last year. But I think they're even better. But they're almost being viewed as the same team. <clears throat> and like, oh, we already know that story. I don't think we know that story. I think they're better than they were last year and might be a team that actually surprises even healthy teams in the playoffs this year. I agree. They played the game the right way. The one thing that I like about their team is they do know their roles, yeah. And they know their they know who they are. They know what they're responsible for doing. I I wouldn't compare it to a San Antonio team as more a Belichick team. Okay, they're kind of a no nonsense, no mistake team. San Antonio doesn't beat themselves. I so I guess that's what you're kind of saying. Um, and I love their leadership. I mean. I think Monte is a hell of a man and a hell of a leader. He probably wouldn't like me to use the word hell in front of his name, though. Um, but, and then you got Chris Paul, who, I don't know for how many years, I think he's been the best mental quarterback of the NBA. Yeah. He's not physically the best quarterback in the NBA, but mentally, he understands what, what's the hell going, what the hell is going on out there better than, uh, so many players and he leads, he leads aggressively, but I think he's also learned to be more positive in that leadership because he's been highly criticized for being maybe too demanding and too angry at times. But I mean, when he's saying the right thing, no one should be pissed off. But right. in today's world, that, that's the way we got to live a little bit. Our leadership sometimes keeps their mouth shut and doesn't want to speak up because he know there's going to be some controversy. The thing about Chris Paul that I wonder seems like a lot of these great players get better as the years go on, which makes sense. You're in the you're learning more about the game. You're getting more comfortable. You've seen everything. You just, your skill level and your understanding of the game just goes up, even after you retire. I'm sure you just your mind. The more you're around it. But it used to be guys would start hitting a wall around 30, 31, and then you start to see a really sharp decline. I feel like 
not everyone. Some guys do hit that wall still. But I feel like there's more players like a Chris Paul that 32, 33. It's not like it used to be 32, 33. They're still fine athletically. And he wasn't a guy that necessarily relied on super athleticism anyway. So in many ways, I feel like a Chris Paul is sort of at the top. He's at his ceiling right now where usually you would think he's on the downturn. Well, you know, he is not as clever as he once was. and Really? His quickness isn't as – I mean, he used to be really slippery, and now he's just slippery. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a great player, but I think so much of his his uh, his uh, his skill is his ability to guide players to play the game the right way. Right. Yeah. And I said that – a couple of games ago about Jokic. Jokic looked like he was almost a teacher on the court. He looked like he was directing the young guys and, you know, just guiding them in, in a positive way. Um, and, you know, I think, I think players, great players that want to make other people better is the greatest compliment I can give to anybody. And then get great players that also want to take their team and guide them mentally and professionally through how to be the best you can be, not only in your skills, like your shooting and running and strength and size and speed, but also in your mental makeup and preparation for the game that you have to play. Right. Let's talk about Jokic because I'm with you. I think Jokic does a great job of that and his leadership in many ways is strong. Last night's game, I'm guessing you watched last night's game. I mean, that was, Sometimes it surprises me. Like sometimes this happens. It happens to every NBA team. They're they're off night. But last night's game was more than just an off night. It was from the very first play, jump ball. They don't match up. There's a guy open in the corner, wide open for three. On the very first play, the team doesn't get matched up. And that wasn't an outlier. That was the mental approach that starting lineup had in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter. Um when you're watching that game, are you screaming at your TV? And, and how does a team come out with that level of energy when they had five days off? Well, uh, you know, you told me that they were stayed out on the road. I think that was probably the mistake that I wouldn't have done. As soon as I knew the Brooklyn thing was over, I probably would have come home. But that, again, could have been a Christmas thing. It could have been something that they had uh -huh. something planned and, uh, guys I don't like to go out in New York. I don't know if that's what it was, but guys don't like I, – I wonder if you tell a team, like, hey, I know we had a trip to New York planned. We're not doing it. We're going home. I, I wonder if there's guys that said, hey, I have plans in New York. I only come yeah. here once year. And plus it's Christmas, and they could maybe have family flying in. Yeah, that's true. To yeah. New York. And uh, so, I, I again, uh, but having four days out on the road and at Christmas time. Could have created a lot of distraction. Could have created. I always say that Christmas and New Year's is a weirdness to the league, and then around All Star Game and trade deadline, there's another weirdness to the league where a bad team beats some a good team by thirty. Right, right. And you go, whoa, what the? And last night's game, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm I, I love the. Uh, there's a, a video of Vince Lombardi saying. What the hell's going on out there? And that's what I was saying. I going, 
And, you know, Jokic was kind of whatever you want to label him, average. But no one, no one kind of recognized it. It even seemed like Malone didn't even recognize it. And, you know, in that situation, you got to find somebody. You got you to give responsibility and demand things. Uh, but OKC okay, is the plan. What do you do when you say recognize it? Like what you mean mix up the road? You make a substitution that you didn't plan on. It's like, hey, we're bringing in a guy and maybe it gives some life. Is that or is it a timeout and you really get into him? What, what do you mean recognize it? What do you do there? Well, in my scenarios, in those situations, you could try. You got for me, I always wanted to know as quickly in the game how I was going to finish. So when when the game was so bad early and so, you know, and, and OKC looked like a totally different team than, than we looked like. Their energy, their bounce, their togetherness, their focus, their flow, everything, loose balls, you know, the calls were going against us because, and, uh, uh, for me, when you recognize it, it might not be, you know, your team might not totally be there. Then you got to find out who is going to be those five guys. I didn't see a lot of different rotations last night until the end where he benched the, he benched the starters. Well, I would have benched the starters in a different way. I had been rotating to try to find out who the hell wants to play. Right, right. And who the hell doesn't want to play. And not group him as, well, the starters don't want to play. I'm going to play right. the bench. That's right. only two options. When you mix and match, you could have three, four, five different options. And to be honest with you, the way they played last night, it probably wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> I, I actually happen to agree with that. Because the big controversy was, you know, Michael Malone brought the starters out in the third quarter, halfway through the third quarter, and they didn't go back in the game. And second unit comes in and they play hard. They fought and they made a run. They actually cut it to single digits with about <clears throat> to go. There's a timeout. I thought Michael Malone was going to bring the starters back in that. It, <clears throat> at that moment. it sounds like you would have brought at least one starter. Baby. I mean, you would have at least gone back to Jokic or something down the stretch. Or is that that point you're thinking, you know what? They had their chance. They never got over it. I don't think you ever slammed the door on your starters like you did, except there is a time for that. But when he was doing it last night, I didn't like the time at what's going on right now to do it. Right. You know, there are times where arrogance and cockiness and unprofessional attitude comes up and you slam, you slap them around a little bit. But you know, there's a lot of crazy going on right now. You know, I mean, I, I don't even get it, man. I, I mean, I watched games last night. I had to had to go to my phone and figure out who these guys were. Right, right. When did yeah. they sign this guy? Lance Stevenson was playing last night. Yeah. I didn't know he was there. Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson. Yeah, Joe Johnson's <laughs> back. I mean, so, you know, I thought because of the, the chaotic – chaos that's going on with COVID and Christmas and not playing well. I thought I thought you had to kind of and why wouldn't you put Jokic back in? I mean I, I mean they were giving up shots off of when they were doubling and, and scrambling on. 
I, I mean, I, and Jokic, is, I think you're one of your best fourth quarter three-point shooters in the game. He makes shots in the fourth quarter, even though sometimes he doesn't make them during the the, right, the first three quarters. But that damn, he he is really good in the fourth quarter. So single days put him back in the game. It might scare the hell out of OKC. I mean, I I wonder that one of the things I really thought of last night after the game, after I'm really like thinking and, and making notes on the game, the first unit has made up for that second unit all year. You know, second unit has been a drag on the first unit all year. And last night was an opportunity where the second unit was picking up. The starters were the drag. And I thought it would have been a really neat moment for the bench to come in, cut a 25 point <clears throat> down to nine points, and then hand the baton over and say, hey, this is a real role reversal here where we picked you up. Now go out there and, and ride that wave. And I just thought it would have had a meaning to it if they would have if they could have said, hey, we didn't have it tonight. You pricked us up. Now we're going to go out there and, and finish the job. I thought that would have had a good galvanizing effect on the team, but we didn't get to see it. Um, Malone was was clearly pretty upset, and and I was I was disappointed in the way that game went. If we just go back, we haven't talked for three weeks. You were very down on the Nuggets three weeks ago. You really were, were not impressed with what you've seen. Are you any more impressed, less impressed, or right where you were three weeks ago with the team overall? Oh, I thought they did really well about two weeks ago. I thought they, they went on that seven, I think a seven game road trip and came back four and three. Yep. I thought that was a hell of a hell of an accomplishment. More so than he got they got credit for. I thought it was a, a difficult road trip and they played well at times. Didn't play well all the time, but played well at times. It it gave me confidence they were going to get through it. Uh but the Minnesota game, you know. Well, I don't like what's going on right now. Is there too many damn, excuse me, can I say fuck? You can say whatever you want on this show. There's too many fucking excuses on this basketball team. Too many, too, too many people make excuses for this team. And, you know, everybody wants to argue about who should be playing, who's this and that. And they have no flow in my mind. I don't think I don't think Malone has got a rotation that he really believes in uh, yet. Maybe that will come. Uh, you got you know you got some young kids. You got some injuries, and you're almost halfway through the year. And don't get me wrong, you have plenty of time. You have plenty of time to figure it out. Plenty of time to get on on the right right page. But there's like there's like ten teams just like Denver. That yeah, are in the same are. boat. They really are. Yep. There might be 15 teams. And there really are. It's true. I it's mean, most of the league. Uh, you know, you got Cleveland leading the Eastern Conference. Right. You know, I don't even know who's the starters on Cleveland. <laughs> I like them though. I do enjoy watching. The big them. guys are playing great. Yep. And their guards are good enough to keep them in games. And they have a couple rule guys that shoot the hell out of it. But they're two big guys win with defense and they play really really well and which is making me kind of happy because we've all been talking about when's the big guy coming back well watch cleveland there yeah i was the one thing i'll say is they're big guys and i like them jared allen and obviously mobley the, those guys the, are 
a type of big, especially Jared Allen. He's like Gobert. He's not necessarily a high skill big man. He's just a do his job big man. And that's fine. Like he does his job. I'm just saying, I don't know if I'm going to proclaim the big man back because players like Jared Allen succeed. To me, that's different. Well, Jared Allen, I, I, I guarantee you right now, there's 20 teams in the NBA that wish they had him as his center. Oh, easily. Oh, because easily. he's a no nonsense guy. Doesn't take a lot of maintenance. There's no plays run for him. He understands the pick and roll game. He understands that he's an offensive rebounder and he understands he's a defender. But he has become a pretty damn good offensive player. Uh, I mean, his efficiency is off the charts. He finishes now. Yep. He's a good and, uh, and And the other guys just can block. He can have a defensive game, he can have a Bill Russell type game at times. Right, you know, not being as a shot block oriented as Russell, but he makes people miss shots around the room. Jared Allen to me is first team all stay inside the lines, meaning he never. You tell him, hey, this is your role on the team. He just never goes outside the ever. I mean, there are times he'll catch the ball five feet away, won't have a good look at the basket, and he'll just dribble it out, pass, it, and say, hey, let's keep going. And there's not many players that'll pass up a, a B minus five footer. They'll just, it, 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 he's so good at it. Um, I just don't think he's he he's more of a like I said because he's inside the lines he's not I, I'm not going to say the big man is back if he's there but that's just a personal preference uh, a personal preference with it is there somebody you mentioned Malone and not trusting his rotation I agree with you but he actually is playing every player on the roster right now Last stop night. doing that stop <laughs> it well who would you cut out You're because way through the season <laughs> build some confidence in your bench. Who who that is playing real minutes right now? Would you cut out or would you reduce the minutes? And who would you maybe up them? Because if you cut somebody out, that means guys are playing a little bit more. Is there a name right now that you look at and say, "Hey, I don't know if it's his time." Well, you know, my whole thing over the last not only the last year or two, but for like three or four years, is they they always gravitate to scores. They want shooters and scorers. I want playmakers. I want guys that know yeah. how to play basketball. I want guys that will pass the ball to the open guy all the time. I want guys that make each other better. I want glue guys that have a, a mental and physical toughness that, that comes onto the court every night. Not every once in a while, but every night. And now, don't get me wrong, that's on the player. Yeah. But in the same sense, Come on, coaches have an ability to help guys build confidence. I have not seen that for four years. I mean, they. I mean, I, I probably believe in the bench more than most coaches. I always wanted my bench to be a top five bench in the NBA. I didn't want it to be a, top, a bottom five bench in the NBA. I think benches win a lot of basketball games in the NBA, and I coach that way. But as I said, even even last year, I you know I didn't know who he's going to play half the time because I'm I'll, I'll give you a scenario of this. My I played in San Antonio. I was the th I was probably the fourth guard in San Antonio. The third guard was Mike Gale, and Mike Gale is a hell of a guy. He just died recently, but he was probably a better player than me. But we were different players. He was more athletic. I was more glue guy, hustle guy. And we would go the whole year 
sitting next to each other on the before when the game started. And we never knew who was going to go in first. Mm. You know, that didn't help either one of us. It didn't help either one of us. It would have been better to sit me all the time, play me when a guy gets hurt, and give Mike Gale the job because in the end he won the job. But we went 82 games not knowing, and it didn't happen until the playoffs where the, where the decision was made. Well, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here because I know you have these opinions, but I, I want to find out which players specifically – uh, you know, you would go to more or maybe mix up their role. We'll go through the roster here. But first, we are presented exclusively by DraftKings Sportsbook. You guys know them. They're a huge partner uh, of ours, and they are the title sponsor of the show. It's Christmas week, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, they are official sports betting partner of the NBA. We've told you they're official sports uh, partner of the NFL, also the NBA. And they got a gift that will certainly put you in the holiday spirit. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team and win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. So you got like a 50-50 shot here of, of cashing in really, really big. All DraftKings customers can also get in on the Christmas spirit with the holiday free bet surprise. Listen to this BS. If you get anywhere from $10 to $50 for free, you don't even have to do anything. It's just like a holiday gift. I got $10. I got the least amount as my holiday gift. Superstar Dev, of course, got $50. Uh, just his luck. But you guys can check it out. And actually, when you do, let me know what you get. I'm curious to see what everybody got. If everybody was like me and got the lump of coal $10 or if you got uh, the Superstar Dev 50. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now. Use promo code DNBR. Bet just $5 on any NBA team and win $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code DNBR. Christmas week. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Coach, I'm putting you on the hot seat here because I, I really want to know, like, if, if there's specific players that you feel well, we can you can reduce, you know, out of the rotation or limit their minutes or maybe play them differently. I mean, Jokic, is there anything you would do differently with Jokic right now? Maybe even play him more minutes, play him more with the bench, or do you sort of you feel like he's like okay, nothing to be changed there? I would go to Jokic and ask him what he wants, mm. what would make him mentally tough for the rest of the year. I wouldn't be it wouldn't be my decision. It'd be and and maybe I would say to him, hey, in the big games against maybe the ten or twenty games that we might need you to play a 40-minute playoff type of game. Do you want to do that? Because I'm I'm not into load management as much as everybody else is. And I think, you know, I think he's a great player and he makes other people better. And when you take him off that court, everybody feels it. Yeah. The numbers tell you you can't take him off the court. Nothing works when he's not in the game. So one, you go management and maybe try to get another veteran player that can give that 10 minutes of leadership or help rather than have a bunch of young, good athletes, good players trying to figure out where they, where their personality fits on this basketball team. There's too many times out there that I don't know who, who even the second best player is. Last right. night, who was the second best player? Yeah, you know, Will Barton yeah. looked like he was lackadaisical. Aaron Gordon didn't 
you know, those were the guys that would be on my list of second or third player, but they weren't there either. Yeah. Uh, what about Aaron Gordon? Do you like to see him sharing the court with Jokic almost exclusively? I mean, they've gotten some great chemistry this year. Or would you rather use him a little bit opposite Jokic sometimes? I personally do not like Aaron Gordon as a three-man. Okay. Uh, but that's a bias that I had formed probably 20 years ago when I always felt that the four-man in college or the four- and five-man in college that tries to be a three-man or a wingman in, in the NBA, I think that's the hardest, it's the hardest change of your skill set in the NBA. And Aaron Gordon has done a good job with that. He is not a bad three, but I would probably try to play him more at four and five and play more athletic around him, maybe at five. Wow. Um, Does that mean, I, so then hold on, let me move it to, to Jeff Green would be my next guy, because when him and Jeff Green are on the court, they're both fours. I mean, you can say one's the three, one's the four, but does that mean you maybe would consider taking Jeff Green out of the starting lineup or staggering more minutes to where you only have one of those guys on the court at a time? Uh, I, you know, I think you need more. Who is the best playmaker in the backcourt with Barton and Morris? I don't Monte. know. I, I'm sorry. I think Monte. I mean, I'm saying Monte and more Barton, I think are good to, Above average, the good playmakers. Okay. But it's not enough when Jokic is not in the game. So right. when Jokic is out of the game, I would probably go small and playmakers. Mm. So I'd probably play Aaron Gordon at center and four of my best playmakers, whoever they are. I like, you know, Jeff Green and Michael Green, I like both of them. I don't know why we have both on the team. Right, right. I would rather have the one thing about last night's game that I liked. If I was uh, Tim Conley right now, you know who I'd be looking at? Derek Favors. Really? Back up to Jokic. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, that works. Big, plays hard, screens. Knows who he is. Yeah. You know, he might take a shot once in a while that you don't like, but yeah, he does a little dirty work for you. Uh, you know, and I'm just saying, I don't, you know, we don't have a backup center. You know, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we, why, why don't we have at least one? Most teams have two or three. We talked about this last time we were on, but, you know, they had them last year. They didn't play. I'm guessing that's the reason is, you know, JaVale McGee, who's having a career year right now down in Phoenix, was on the roster, but he never got off the bench. So I think my why guess don't you, Why don't you ask Conley and Malone that? What do you mean? I, want, I need to know that answer a little bit too. I'm telling you, I think that's the answer. They, you know, Malone was handed a backup center, but just didn't want to play him. So I think it's like, well, we'll use the roster spot in a different in a different way this year. Um, what about Will Barton? What do you see from him? And and would you play him maybe fewer minutes with the starting unit? Try to move him more to playing with the bench. What would you do with him right now? Come on, Adam. Everybody's afraid to tell him, look him in the face. Will, you are a bench player. 
You can be a great bench player. You might be six man of the year coming off the bench. Uh, you know, we, we've let him professionally whine into being a starter. Now, I don't know if he right now, he might be a starter, you know, but I think when they're all healthy, I think you got a scenario that I, I, I said this a year ago, probably two years ago, Will Barton would be a hell of a bench guy for me. He'd be coming in. I would give him, I'd be giving him a lot of shots. I'd be giving him a lot of latitude to put on a big, to give, give our team a big quarter. Give me a, a 14 point quarter. And Will Barton would love that. I think, <laughs> but he likes being a starter more. I, he's a little old for me to be hung up on being a starter. Yeah. What is the risk there? In your opinion, is there a risk or is it, it's more you're afraid to do it than it's actually like you just say, Hey man, we're doing this. Or is there a risk a player tunes out, checks out? You know, a coach a long time ago, I, I, Pete Noel was a very good in my career. And I was earlier, I think I got fired in Cleveland. Maybe I got fired in Golden State. And I, I spent a day with Pete Noel. And we talked about, you know, philosophy and what I was doing. And, and he said, George, you're, you're, do, you're doing what Don Nelson wants to do. You're doing what Larry Brown liked to do. Or you're doing what Del Harris kind of taught you to do. Do what you have to do because the players feel when you are committed and when you're in compromise. Compromise doesn't work. Compromise doesn't work. Let me make sure you understand. Compromise in the NBA does not work. Right. Do you think the do you think that's one of the things that's going on in Denver right now? Is is maybe players feel there's a sense of that compromise? I'll say this. I I had heard from some reputable people that maybe some of that was going on in years past, that there were some veteran players that were getting priority that maybe shouldn't have because maybe there was a, a, a fear of disrupting the, the vibe around the team if, if, if you're too hard on them. Adam, it's not only in Denver, it's all through the NBA. <laughs> you're talking, you're being gentle that coaches don't always have to say anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong. That may be where the game is going and that's probably why I probably never coached in the league anymore. But, you know, I'll just give you an example. My son, my son is 14 and one has won the, the NBA G, G League tournament. Total chaos. They have no point. They had, they had three point guards to start the season. They had no point guards yesterday. And they still won. And all he did was what I think anybody does is simplify. And and go and then you do you do Belichick. You demand detail in these things one two three four if you don't do this you're not playing right uh but today we have players on minute limits physical limits fatigue i mean kobe has guys that can only play 20 minutes and then the other guys gotta play 30 minutes right right i'm sitting there going how in the hell are you coach how do you juggle all that? You got to have a you coach. just monitoring minutes. It's like it's like management wants 
wants to have a say in how the coach coaches. It's stupid in my mind, but I might, I might be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong though. I might be wrong though. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the hall of fame. You were nominated. Uh, I was last year, the first year you were nominated for the hall. Adam, I don't even know. I, I think I, I've been, I think I've been nominated at least. I maybe I'd be maybe two years. Two years my third. So this is your third year. I know. I think Chauncey Billups is is up. Uh, you know, he could. He he's another candidate this year as a player. Um, what would it mean for you to enter the hall? I mean, you're a top ten winningest coach of, in NBA history. What would it? Is it an important achievement for you? I can't deny that I. In the last couple of years, that conversation has been in my life a little bit more than it was when I was more active in coaching. And there's no question that I would I would be honored. Um, but you know my 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 what I'm trying to say, and this might be I don't, I want to be humble here, and because the game has been great to me. And so asking for Hall of Fame is, but I, I shouldn't be doing that. But what I also believe that the Hall of Fame doesn't get enough guys in the Hall of Fame that should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's the bottom line is, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying, you know, right now there's 75, they're honoring 75 players and they're going to honor 15 coaches. 15? Why only 15? Why couldn't it be 25? Why couldn't it be 50? Because there are a lot of great coaches that got out of the game. Billy Cunningham's a great coach. Could have been an all-time great coach. He got out of the game after he won a championship. He didn't want to go anymore. He didn't want to I rarely, I rarely hear about him, to be honest with you. I always find that curious because you always hear the other side, the Lakers coaching tree or the history, but Cunningham, for some reason, I it's like I'd, I'd never hear stories about him. Well, I mean, I mean, I, it's just and, and there's more like, you know, one of my favorite players in coaching is Dedler Shrimp. Why is he not even mentioned? But, you know, Dedler wasn't flamboyant. But Dedler was an all-star, played on winning teams almost every where place he was. It was a was an adaptable position guy. Could play three, four, two. Actually, could play some point. But we don't get that guy, and we always want the flamboyant. We want the big mm. number guy. We For want sure. the top twenty scorer. Right. Why not go out and put Bruce Bowen in the Hall of Fame right. as the as the best role guy ever to play the game of basketball? Maybe. Really? Wow. I mean, why? You know, why? Why won't we ha have these conversations? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, I want to go in the Hall of Fame. It would be a great celebration for my, my family and my career. But in the same sense, you know, it's not something that, you know, I, I, I lose sleep over. But I do lose sleep over that I think the Hall of Fame should open up their doors more. I feel like I've gotten to know you well enough to say this, and that is that you, you know, you really love the game of basketball. I mean, the, it's it's really at it's really important to you, not just 
as an abstract thing, but you really want it to be in a good place and, and to be a part of it. And because you were in the league for so long as a player, as a coach, because you were in so many important moments, I think you might be underselling a little bit just, and I understand why, but I, I, I believe it would be a really big deal for you to kind of be able to look back and say, I'm a part, I'm recognized as a part of the history of the game. I know you already are, whether you're, you know, getting the hall or not, but, but to be recognized as the history of the game includes me in it. I, I just feel like that would be a really big thing. And I hope it happens this year. Um, with, would it, would it mean anything to you? Chauncey Billups being up going in with him. I know he's one of your all time favorites. I know how you speak about him, but if you were to share entrance the same year, I think that would be special. Well, I think Chauncey's got to worry about his team right now. <laughs> Definitely has other concerns. Uh, yes, Chauncey is Nate McMillan. And I've said to you, and I think many yeah. times I've said Chauncey Billups and Nate McMillan are the two best leaders I've ever been around. And they were both very powerful and both and very influential in my successes in Seattle. I don't get it done without Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan and Tim Gergeridge helped me with Gary and Sean. At a time in my career, my ego was a little bit out of control. Um, but, and then Chauncey came here and it was a master at, he turned a team that was falling apart in about two weeks. We all knew in that locker room that we could be a great team. Right. right. And, and it has nothing to do with basketball skills. It has everything to do with inspiring a team to play the right way. I don't want to linger on this topic because I think everybody's tired of the topic, but I do just want to ask you about how the NBA has handled COVID so far this season. And if you, there's, if you have any thoughts about how they're handling it, here's one thing I'll say. Austin Rivers did an interview the other day where he said, they're not even testing us. And I found that to be really surprising, that they're not even testing unless they have to. Basically, if there's like probable cause that okay then they'll test you and he says i don't even know there might be guys on our team that have it we just don't know because nobody tests us they will test starting december 26th the day after they got to get through christmas they don't want to lose <laughs> any big games i have a feeling december 26th we're going to have 100 guys in our covid protocols this year well the rumor i'm hearing is that the league is planning a maybe a shutdown you think i i've heard that a couple times today wow um, that they're fearful. They they feel that in two weeks that there could be five hundred thousand people a day come down with COVID. Right, right. And I don't know why they're going to do it. What their reasoning or scientific evidence says they should do it, or why they do it. But I think sometimes when the country is kind of in a crisis, the NBA has got to be aware of that to where they can see if, if shutting down supports everybody. Uh, I think they got to think about it, but I think what everybody found out is when we shut sports down the last time, everybody wanted sports. And when it came back, it seemed to help us in a, with a mental energy that we had our team to cheer for. We had something to watch on TV that we liked. Uh, you know, I'm an advocate of shortening the NBA season. I have been for a while. But that's not going to happen unless we figure out a formula that players won't lose money. Right. right. I have no idea that scenario. So I, I think 
the league should have a pulse on the society of America. And if they can be helpful in helping us get through this hell that we all feel, and it's getting to be a long time. I don't know how you feel, Adam, but COVID depression is there in my life. Yeah. COVID sadness is there in my life. And, you know, it's now so much, you know, about travel. I'm, I'm planning on traveling soon for Christmas to see my grandchildren. But, you know, there has been a conversation. Should we go? Should we start having a family of a family party with 20 people in it? Right. You know, I don't know. My doctors advise me, give me, give me statistics. But it's, in the end, it's my decision. I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally vaccinated and I got my booster. If they have a booster tomorrow, I'll take that one. And I'll be honest with you, I'll, I'm coming out. I mean, I wish someone out there would be able to explain to me why they don't want to take a shot. Well, it's one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, I feel like everybody in the Internet age, especially in the last in the social media age, has become increasingly political, meaning people it's become more of a part of a person's personality. And I wonder one of the conversations in that Rolling Stone article, I mentioned Austin Rivers saying they don't test. One of the things he said is that the conversation in NBA locker rooms is full of conspiracy theories and and, uh, this distrust or this or that. Did you notice that when you were a co- when you were coaching with the let's say the Nuggets in the two early two thousands mid two thousands, where do you feel players have gotten more political or more this has become a bigger topic or were guys sharing sometimes some some pretty outside the box perspectives on society back then even was it common? Oh wow, <laughs> I think the, I, I think the players are getting more, for a better phrase, more intellectually active or politically active or community active they are much more aware of what happens outside of the game of basketball than ever before the branding the internet the the activities on social media they know that that has an influence um i'm not saying good or bad um you know, and now you have so many people around the game of basketball that you don't even know who they are. You know, you have the shooting coach for one guy and the, right. the nutritionist for another guy and the yoga teacher for another guy. And, you know, they kind of all have their programs. And um, and the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I was out with Chad Iskey last night. Um, they don't practice, right? Yeah, they don't practice enough, in my opinion. I know. Jandjar mentioned this the other day, just yesterday, by the way, after the game. He said, "We just don't practice. We've even been on the road. We don't practice. That we there's never. It's hard to gain chemistry when the games are the only time you're really on the court together. It it's 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 it doesn't help the game. Yeah, the game loses its fluidity, loses the 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 connection that is needed to win a championship, the trust and belief in each other. It comes in practice as much as it comes in games. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't, I don't buy it. Uh, you know, I don't buy not, not being on the practice court. I, I, I don't know why, but I, I just think that is 
a higher priority in my mind of why the league is kind of plateaued a little bit. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to change. I have no idea. I don't think the players are going to demand more practice. Right. Guess who's going to have to demand it? Management's going to have to demand it. And right now, management and and organizations and even the league office, everybody feels that they all are player. They love the player a little bit more than they love maybe coaching. Kale, let's uh, wrap up. I know we got a couple questions here. I asked some people for questions early on. Let's try to hit two or three of these if we can here in our final uh, five minutes or so. What do we got? Are we there, Kale? Did we lose our super producer? <laughs> Kale, are you at the wheel? <laughs> um, I guess we don't hear it. I, I, I see one right here. He, what's he writing me? Scrolling up. Give me a second. Okay. Um. Just want to say thanks for doing this. We got a Sonics fan, somebody who is a Sonics fan who now has become a Nuggets fan with Jokic's arrival. So my goodness, a dream come true, a podcast, a dream come true, coach. You found your perfect target audience right here in Vanya, Sonics slash Nuggets fan. Well, I want you to know that I hope that you're really working hard at getting a team back in Seattle. And yeah. I mean, as much as I would like to be in the Hall of Fame, I will be a lot more happy to see basketball back in Seattle. I think it's one of the disappointments. I, I, I could go harder in that, maybe say one of the dis- disgraces of, of, of the NBA in the last 25 years was taking the team out of Seattle. Hmm. All right, did we find a couple questions there, Kale? Do we have one lined up? Let's see. What does George think about Faku? I love him. I keep them on my team forever, but there are certain games I wouldn't play them. Okay. <laughs> and I think he would handle that very well. Yeah, he probably I mean, would. he's a pro. He's a pro's pro, plays the game every possession the right way. And I would say 75 to 80% of the games, he would be playing for me. But there are some nights that you might want to go some other places, especially when Jamal Murray comes back. Who who is a bad matchup for him? Like, what games does he is are not for him? Oh, I don't. I mean, for me, he's an energy bunny. He's a guy that picks your team up and lifts it up. Uh, you know, I, I think it's more of a matchup scenario. But you know, he's a hell of a defender. He bothers people. Uh, and uh, again, I I don't know for a fact that I would. Right now, the way the roster is set up, I don't know if he would not play a lot. But I would like to maybe have a more, more, a bigger, maybe yeah. a little more playmaker oriented point guard. Uh, I, I like six six guys. I like guys that you know can rebound a little bit. And even though he's Pasu is a good rebounder, uh, but I love the guy. But I think there are times I would like to have maybe another personality back there as a point guard on my team. There you go. What else, Kale? What other, what other one do we have? Will M- MPJ ever become a positive defender after all of these injuries? That's a tough one. Well, it's a tough one because the answer is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know you don't want to hear that. All, all young players get better defensively. 
all young players understand preparation and game planning a little little later in life. So I think that'll happen. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you the question. You have Aaron Gordon and you have Porter Jr. Do you know what position they play best? Yeah, I mean, they're both the both four, probably. Yeah. And they are both probably want to be threes. Porter <laughs> wants to be two. It's tough. It's tough for sure. Um, I will get one more here. Do the Nuggets have a systemic effort problem? Or is this the normal ebb and flow in an NBA season for most, if not all, teams? I love this question, Vanya, and I can't wait to hear what Coach says. But here's one thing, Coach. We've talked about winning streaks. That's one thing the Jokic-era Nuggets have not had is a long winning streak. I, I think it's like eight games. And I wonder if it's for this exact thing, this systemic effort. There are nights, and Jokic is one of them. Like he, In a lot of ways, when I criticize this team, it's like other than Jokic, he's the only guy that does this or that or whatever. But this is one where I feel like he's also on the same level. He doesn't always have that killer instinct or, or just, hey, I'm coming out tonight. I don't care. Like He goes through a few emotional ebbs and flows, I feel. He's getting better, though. He is. And the ebb and flows were five or six a year or two ago. Now they're one, they're two or three. Right. Uh, last night, of course, being one of them. Um, yeah, was. I don't think they're in it. Everything, I've always admired Coach Malone on his ability to bounce back. I mean, tonight's games, I mean, history says that Malone's team will come to play tonight. And, and Charlotte's a, Charlotte needs a win. You know, Charlotte needs a win. And uh, Charlotte's going to come after him. And whatever OKC did last night, they might see it again tonight. Well, I hope not. That would uh, be a really bad Christmas present to the city of Denver to have to repeat what we saw uh, we saw last night. Coach, that does it uh, for today. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and, and, and joining this conversation. I always enjoy talking with Coach. I know you guys always enjoy hearing his insights on the Nuggets. Um, Coach, I hope you have a, a, a very happy holiday, a very great Christmas and New Year, and we'll circle back in January. Hopefully the league's still going on. The Nuggets will have some home games. I'm going to have to get you over uh, to watch the game with me in the studio here in January, and uh, and we'll have to do this again in a couple weeks. Well, you know, as I tell all my friends right now, is sometimes it's tough to see the sunshine, but, you know, this is the time of the year that it's time, it's time to be joyful and celebrate celebratory you know find the things in life that you really really love and are the foundation of your love and success and go out out and having a hell of a time and 2022 20 22 was my number so 2022 i think is going to be a hell of a year <laughs> there you go the year of george carl i like it uh thank you so much everybody hit that like button on the way out don't forget to subscribe this is a podcast as well so if you don't ever catch the live video of this it's always podcast form the keeping it 1000 podcast george carl's doing a bunch of great things with truth and media including forgotten seasons including the truth and basketball podcast all of which you should uh rate review subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode all right everybody have, we'll see you next time